Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. The 2019 racing season is coming to a close for many athletes. After a big training season ends, we often wonder what's next for us. We are here today to talk about goal setting for the future and how you can plan your future races to optimize your fitness and reach your potential in the sport of distance running. So today I brought on our head coach here at run for prs Ben Jacobs, and he is here to discuss this topic with us about reaching your potential and setting long-term goals. He has helped hundreds and probably thousands of athletes of all ability levels over the years. Welcome, Ben. We would love to first hear a little bit about your athlete background and then dive into some of your coaching experience. Sure. Well, thanks. Um, I guess I've been running for quite a long time, about 18 years now, and started when I was in in middle school and really got hooked on it. Um, as far as coaching, I, I kind of knew that I always wanted to coach, got involved with some youth teams in college and, and really liked it and did a couple years of college coaching, high school coaching. And now I'm here working with adults going for their marathons and half marathons and, and other distances, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. And starting at the college level with coaching, and I know that you coached kind of in the high schools a few times also, um, just having that background working with a bunch of ability levels and now moving upwards into, you know, training more of the um, competitive recreational runners uh, that are adults. I think that's that's a fun shift. I'm um, really getting to know the athletes there. And that's kind of more of what we're talking about today is how, you know, adult recreational competitive athletes can really reach their potential um, despite all the other things that they're juggling in their day-to-day life. Um, so I know that you've been coaching for almost a decade now. And what do you typically see athletes want to do when they come off of like a big season you know they just set a monster PR we've had so many people PR um, our athletes this year at Chicago and New York and people are just they're riding that high of a great race so what do you typically see like people want to do after a race yeah we had our athletes had incredibly successful training this summer leading into fall and it was it was a lot of fun to see everything come together I think there's there's kind of two things a lot of times when people finish a big race they want to just do nothing. So, I mean, that becomes problematic because then if they do nothing for three or four months and then 2020 hits and they want to do a goal race in May or June, they've already taken a step back from all the work that they put in this year. The other side of that would be people who get incredibly fired up and they just think, well, you know, I just PR'd. I can go to that next level, but I have to train faster. I have to run harder every single day. My workouts need to be faster. And that's kind of a misconception too, because really it's all about consistency and smart progressions. There's no magic formula. Like you can't just increase your training and it's going to guarantee that you're going to be better. You can't just run more miles. Everything has to be smart and for the athlete. So those are kind of the two sides of the things that I see a lot, where it's kind of like a blend in the middle is ideal. So taking a little bit of recovery time, having, having a mental and physical down couple weeks, month, starting to build back smart and then getting back into smart, intelligent training and progressing as you were before. Yeah, that's great. I love how you, there's two sides of the spectrum, right? So there's the people that want to take a ton of time off and just do nothing. Um, and then they want to come back and they expect, you know, to be hitting fast times and training really well after taking months off. Um, and then there's that other side of this 
platform where people just want to continue riding that high, continue training, continue grinding and refuse to take um, that proper off season and recovery. Uh, and I know you mentioned that there are some things that an athlete can do to be a successful long-term. And some of that would be just finding that middle ground and making sure that there is still the recovery that happens, but then we still want to like be consistently training. And I think it's just like a really hard balance for a lot of athletes. So do you have any way that you can kind of explain what that should look like to people listening? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think I get asked the question kind of all the time where it's like, well, you know, a month after the race, why am I only doing an eight-mile long run or, you know, in that range? Why, why am I not running more? Shouldn't I be running 12 miles, 15 miles? And the reality is not really because the marathon takes a lot out of your body and it takes a lot of mental energy too. So you really need to kind of build back and not jump in too soon. So kind of what that means, like we like to give our athletes a week off after – after the marathon, sometimes maybe a half week, maybe even a week after a half marathon. It just kind of depends where each athlete is, both physically and mentally. I mean, if you had, if you were a little banged up going into the race, then you might need a little more time. If you didn't race all out for the half marathon, then, then you can probably come back quicker. But typically like a week, a week down and then kind of building back with what's called a reverse taper. So maybe one week off, the second week you run three or four times, depending on how many runs you typically do, but they're pretty short, three or four miles. Then you come back the week after that with a slightly longer long run and maybe a very easy workout just to get your legs moving a little bit. And then that's a good point to assess and kind of say, you know, where do we go next? Do we start to build back slowly or do we still back off a little bit because you're still not feeling recovered? Right. I love how you elaborated on that. And I know we kind of went into detail with this, um, coach Skelly and I on a, on a different podcast talking specifically about the off season and that whole reverse taper that you were talking about. Um, and like you said, it is so individualized and it can just be really varied from athlete to athlete, but really I think the key takeaway is that it can be kind of boring for a month or two in there, um, with that off season, you know, it's just kind of not a lot of, you know, flashy workouts, um, not a lot of mileage or long runs, just kind of consistently getting out there, um, getting your body used to just running a little bit again, but giving that adequate time for recovery. Um, so have you ever had an athlete that, you know, felt great and, um, despite, you know, your best efforts to reel them in and tell them, you know, you need your, your off season, um, do a little bit less that you saw them, you know, continue to kind of grind it out, um, over the off season and just not, you know, take that on that advice and just continue to push. What do you typically see happens? Um, yeah, so in- unfortunately it's always hard, you know, cause you want to kind of try to reel them in. And I've had this happen quite a few times where you, just kind of say, okay, you know, it's okay to slow down. It's okay to not run as much. But a lot of times it leads to some kind of burnout, which would, you know, either having an overuse injury just because you might feel good, but really your body hasn't been able to repair all the damage that a marathon did or mental burnout where they, you know, you feel great. You want to get back to work. And then two months later, you're in a spot where it's just like, well, you know, I'm not enjoying this anymore. And, and I, a lot of that is just because you came back too fast that month, that first month after the marathon, like you said, is kind of boring, but I encourage people to do that because it brings back that desire. You know, it's, it's easier to want to go run if it's three miles and then say, well, I wish I could run more versus if you run seven miles, you're like, well, that was too far. I'm too tired. This, this isn't fun. You know, you kind of get into that spiral loop where you're, overdoing it and then it's not as fun where I'd rather have you be wishing that you could do more and having me be the bad guy that's slowing you down as opposed to mentally getting into a funk. Right. Totally. I definitely agree with you. I think that you should definitely feel like during this recovery and off season phase that you should be, you know, doing more like you could do more. You don't want to be always pushing the envelope. And I think that's just a good rule of thumb to, you know, understand that you shouldn't feel like you're at the breaking point. You should feel like you want to keep doing more um, and that you can do more. And I love how you mentioned the micro level of just having all that stress in your body from the marathon. Like you might feel great, but 
you're not fully um, recovered from the marathon. Even if you feel good, right. you're not able to see, you know, like the muscular and skeletal damage that has been done. Um, and I know you mentioned saying we really cut back the long runs after a marathon. And I think that is so important. And I think out of like all of the things that people do during that off season time, I think one of the biggest mistakes that people just let slide is doing too much of a long run during that off season. And why is it important to scale back that long run? I I think there's quite a few reasons. I mean, physically it's less stress on the body. You know, the longer you go, the longer duration, the more muscular stress and, and skeletal stress that you're going to put on your body. So when you're, when you're doing less long runs, that's going to be lower and then I just think mentally too, I mean, going for a run over two hours is always going to be a little mentally taxing. You know, if you're down closer to an hour or an hour and 20 minutes, it's going to be a lot easier mentally. I think people with, with all the scheduling and busyness that people have, those long runs can, can get tough. I know a lot of people struggle with getting them in and finding the time to do it. So just having that mental break too, I mean, you're still getting benefits from running longish versus really long. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And that's something that I've noticed personally with my own training. I think, you know, after a marathon, for some reason, I just can't run like over an hour, (laughs) like for a month or two, because it just, I don't know if it's probably more mental than anything else. I don't know if you kind of feel the same way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of mental exertion. And I talk with my athletes all the time about that just getting through a marathon training cycle takes a ton of mental energy, but then going out and running, you know, three, four five hours, that, that's a ton of mental focus to keep going. And it's going to take a lot out of you. You're kind of, your, your body's kind of riding that high then. And after that, you're going to, you know, you're going to come down and, and you need to let, let your brain and, you know, recover. Yeah, no, that's a good point. A lot of people talk about that physiological recovery, which we all kind of know takes, you know, two, three, four weeks after a marathon for all the damage to be repaired. But what you're saying is like that mental break from the training and the grinding and, you know, you're running for three, four, five hours at a time. Like you said, that is a lot of mental energy and like mentally, emotionally, all of those things, I think, get overlooked a lot. Um, so it's good that you bring that up because I definitely I think that's the biggest thing for me. Um, my body's pretty dur- durable, but when it just comes to the mental grind, I have nothing after a marathon for a couple of months when it comes to longer, longer distance stuff. And that, you know, and that's that's OK. I mean, that that's good to admit, because I think. People all the time see social media posts that, you know, I did a 20 mile long run, you know, and make it look easy. Mm-hmm. It, it's not easy. And a, and a marathon isn't easy. Even if you're running your easy pace, it's still a long time to run. I mean, it, it's going to have effect on you. Right. Yeah. And that should be said that I just ran a marathon about a month ago for everyone listening. And I just did it more like for fun. It wasn't a race. Um, I kind of decided last minute to do it, but I haven't ran. It's been a month now. I haven't ran over 60 minutes since then, just because I have no desire to do it, um, to run that long. And I know that pushing through that sort of thing, um, it's just not smart, even though, you know, you might see other people doing it or you, you feel like you want to, you know, capitalize on your fitness or whatever sort of excuse your, your brain is telling you it's okay to take that time off and, you know, your endurance will be there for you when you, when you come back. Yeah. And I think, yeah, people do feel like, well, I got to get into that next training cycle. And I had a, I had a runner this fall that did, she did two marathons and one, the first one was kind of the goal marathon. And the second one was New York city because, you know, she got in and she wanted to do it. And she kind of asked me like, well, you know, between this, these two races was I think five weeks. Why is my longest run eight miles? And it's like, well, we just did the longest long run at this point. Now it's all recovery and just getting mentally ready to be able to do that next one. And she, she had a great race. The first race and the second one was like seven minutes slower, which I think is, is really great considering Mm -hmm. coming back and, and the fact that we really didn't do much training in there, but it just shows that, you know, she had the fitness and we just kind of worked on that mental component and kept running just a little bit and the fitness stayed for a month. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. The fitness stays for a long time. And even for, for that, the back-to-back marathons are so tough. Um, you know, I think more so like for her, it was probably a lot of it mentally, you know, I mean, just the back-to-back and then it, it, yeah, I've done it before where it's, you know, six, eight weeks apart and it's not, uh, not easy mentally, but you know, it's good that she was in a good physical situation where she wasn't, you know, overdoing it by any means. Um, in between, I think that probably really helped her because only seven minute difference is it's pretty good when you're not planning on racing that second one. Yeah, and people in the past have asked me like, "Oh, you know, shouldn't I do another really long run?" And it's like, "Nope, mm. that will that will actually have negative effect on your body." Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there um, because of social media, but I also think like just lack of knowledge of physiology and like kind of how. Uh, how fitness is built and how endurance um, works and just endurance. I mean, it, it stays. And I think a lot of people underestimate, you know, like you said, if you ran a marathon, you're going to stay, you have that endurance for a long time. And I think another good example um, that I just thought of is coach Mary. She did a 50 miler ultra marathon trails. Like she did like 13, 12 minute pace, um, back in September and then she ran raced a marathon in November and I think in between those two she did no runs over 12 or 13 miles because the endurance was there she knew the endurance was there from that ultra but really she just needed to focus on speed and I think you know everyone's so individualized so you might be listening to this story and be like well that I can't relate to that but you know everyone has their own journey and just knowing how your training fits in and talking to someone who kind of has worked with individuals of, you know, different levels and different backgrounds like this, it can help a lot. Cause I think a lot of athletes just try to replicate what they see being done or they try to follow plans online. So it's really good that we're having this discussion so we can kind of talk about what the optimal way to train is. And, you know, you mentioned your athlete doing two back-to-back marathons. I know, I know you don't love that, but we definitely see that a lot because of the marathon majors, you know, people want to get them all in and they're addicting and I get it. Um, but we've talked before about like the marathon hamster wheel that people can get stuck on. So it's like, you know, you just did a marathon in November and I know we get a lot of emails coming in right now who people who just finished a marathon. They're like, should I do a marathon, you know, in April or May? Is that enough time in between? And what are your thoughts in terms of if you want to like optimize your fitness and become the best runner that you can possibly be, how do you think that runners should approach the marathon? Well, there is enough time in that situation. It's kind of, you know, individualized, but I guess my typical advice for, for someone in that position that's just coming off a marathon this fall that, you know, say it went really well, then I would typically recommend that we target a fast half marathon in May or June, and then look towards a fall marathon. And that gives us a lot of time to build base, and we can work on some of those speed components that's going to transfer over to their next marathon. So I think that's typically how I would approach it. I mean, I do have a lot of people that are coming back and doing a marathon next spring, and that's okay too. It, it really just depends I mean, a really important thing is what you do in the time between and how you recover. So jumping back right back into hard training after your marathon most likely is not going to yield you a good spring marathon. Right. Yep. I think doing, you know, the off season, having that recovery is super important. Um, And I know like the back-to-back seasons are not a huge deal, but sometimes I think, you know, if you've been in the sport for a while and you're listening and you've been doing marathons for a couple of years now, uh, you know, like the back to back, to back, to back, to back marathons, um, every single year doing multiple marathons. Uh, do you think that sometimes you see athletes that kind of get stuck on that cycle and then kind of reaching a plateau? Um, what sort of advice would you give there? Yeah. I mean, I I definitely think that, that, that happens. I mean, you can't, marathons are tough, so you can't really expect to race two or three a year and have each one continue to be better than the last. And typically, kind of when you get to that point where you're kind of stagnant, I mean, that typically indicates that you need to do something different. So you need to maybe work on your work on your half marathon and your 10K and change training up, you know, just a little bit. And then you're going to come back to the marathon and see those benefits from that. I love how you said, like, when you stop 
making progress. That's usually a sign that you need to do something differently. Um, and I think a lot of times people, people don't understand that or it's scary because if you stop making progress and someone's like, well, now time, time to change something, uh, it can be like, mom, do I trust you? You know, cause runners kind of get in their habits and their routines of what they like to do. Um, you know, so you saying focusing more on the shorter distance stuff, um, like how would that look or how would an athlete kind of know, you know, it's time to maybe shift focus. Um, if I really want to reach my full potential in the sport and become faster. It, it's hard to say. I mean, cause just everybody is so different, but I mean, we have a lot of people that come to us that have kind of run like two or three marathons a year for the last three or four years. And they're all about the same time. And, and usually with that, I can kind of look back at some of their training and just be like, you know, here's where I see that all your runs were kind of meshing together, you know, at the same pace. So you weren't really touching on other paces or systems. And then I can see that, you know, you weren't really super recovered from this marathon until you jumped into the next one. Those, those type of things can, you know, you can kind of see trends with that. And sometimes talking with people, you can kind of work around like ways that's like, okay, you know, maybe if we were to switch up these couple things here and just kind of change focus a little bit. Cause a lot of times too, I see people kind of get into that BQ or bust type mentality where they've had their last three marathons, you know, they went great for 18 miles right at pace. And then, then things got tough and it's just like, you know, there's certain things that we can change and a little bit of mindset shift to kind of take that next step towards that BQ. Yeah. And I know once people kind of start to approach that, you know, BQ level and beyond, it can kind of hit a road where, you know, you, you can improve a lot the first couple of years that you're a runner and, you know, you, you make huge progress and it, it can be really addicting to see that progress happen. Um, and then I think, you know, as you get faster, it's harder to improve, you know, the whole law of diminishing returns, you know, um, do you, do you think that there's like a peak where each athlete hits and they can't, you know, get any faster than that? Or I just want to know like your opinion and what you think about, you know, like hitting those plateaus and saying, oh, well, I can't get any faster than this. Is that real? Is it all in our head? <laughs> Well, I mean, that, that's a complex question because, you know, it's, it is real. Everybody has, you know, everybody has limitations, you know, the greatest runners in the world are, you know, going to be at a certain point maxed out. But I think a lot of, you know, I think most runners never really reach that point. Like I myself ran some great races. I don't think I ever had everything perfect that I maxed my out my potential either. But I think like we have the new, BQ program and that program has so far been really successful but we kind of work on shifting that mindset where it's it's not BQ or bust it's the road to BQ so there are all these stops along the way and if you're coming you know even if you have five minutes that might be a couple of training cycles to get that next five or seven minutes to get there so I think I mean I don't think most people reach their limitations and I think sometimes it can be when, when you get into that mode where, you know, you've been there a couple of years, you don't see improvement, even in college as a 18 to 20 year old, I basically ran the five, same 5k time for three years, but I kept putting in the work and, you know, kind of progressing along until I had a big breakthrough. So I think that's where a lot of people are, but I think many times they don't maybe stick with it long enough to get there. A lot of our mm -hmm. recently successful BQ people have been people that we've been working with for a year, year and a half, and they've taken those small steps, but they just stuck with it. Consistency was really good. And they didn't get frustrated that they didn't BQ in the last one because they made that next step that we kind of talk about. And then this fall, they, a lot of them had really big breakthroughs. Yeah, no, I think this is a really interesting topic, just talking about peaking and, you know, reaching your full potential in the sport. And I agree with you. I think, you know, a lot of people never really get there. I think sometimes people think that they get there and they aren't actually there. Um, like you said, you know, being 
at the level that you were at, even after years of training, you know, you kind of hit that, that wall kind of where you're not seeing improvements for a couple of years. And that can actually be kind of normal, I think. And we don't really, it's not a normalized thing. You don't hear people saying, you know, yeah, I was at the same level for two years, just consistently putting in the work. And then I broke through, you know, just because I just kept showing up and, and doing the work. Um, so I do think that sometimes people will, you know, quit or they'll, they'll stop putting the effort if they're, if they don't see the results right away, um, just because it does get harder. And then, you know, there's, there's those sacrifices. So I know we kind of did a podcast earlier this year called like sacrifices to uh, be reaching a BQ or just what it takes to really hit that BQ time. Do you think that there's just like some underlying sacrifices and just, uh, you know, the commitment level there, or what is like the biggest thing you think that holds people back from just really reaching their potential? Oh, that's another tough one too. I mean, you're, you're giving me all the hard ones. Uh, I know this so, wasn't planned. <laughs> no, so, so there are a lot of things, you know, and I, you know, everybody, nobody that we're working with is a professional runner. So you most likely you have a job, most likely, you know, you have a family of some sort and you have an actual life of like, you know, you're doing things. So I don't expect people to just drop everything for running and and things come up. So I wouldn't really say those are sacrifices people are not willing to make, but there are, you know, there are other sacrifices like, you know, sleeping in two extra hours on a Saturday morning or getting out for your long run or, going out on a Friday night and staying out till 3 a.m. or making sure you get a quality long run and you prepare. I mean, those are sacrifices that, you know, you have to kind of decide. Like you really, I don't think a lot of times you can have both of those. I mean, sometimes you can, but, you know, you still have to enjoy life, but you have to prioritize like what are your, what are your goals really? Right. No, I love that. And I think for me, you know, I love running. I love training. And um, like, I want to reach my potential. And then when I hear like, what's, what are you not willing to sacrifice? Like one of the things that pops into my mind is like, I do love to run. So I just, for me, sometimes just hitting all the workouts and, you know, following the plan to a T and making sure like, I don't push myself too hard, but not enough. And, and just like really grinding it out in workouts, it can just be like mentally just a lot to do so I think sometimes I ask myself like do I really like the book how bad do you want it for me was kind of like um I I don't like that approach because sometimes I'm like well I don't I don't know that I really want it that bad because it it can be a lot when you know you're you're really uh trying to compete at a high level and it's like you know sometimes you don't you don't necessarily want to push yourself that hard, but I think just, you know, having that accountability to yourself and knowing that if you do put in the work, you can see better results. Um, and I think that's important for people to, to realize. And I know that we've had a lot of athletes that we've coached over the years that came to us and they said, you know, I want to break through and run a 330 or 335 and hit my BQ. Um, and I think they thought at the time that they were at a plateau and then we just said, no, just keep putting the work, put in the work, do the workouts. Um, and a lot of them, I mean, we've had a few that end up like 305, 307, 312, you know, after a year or two, because they realize like, if I just put in this work, like it's limitless, like my potential, it's, it's not at a BQ, you know, I can continue to get faster if I just focus on doing all of the things that need to get done um, to get there. Right. And I think a lot of times people, you know, training, training doesn't have to be perfect and life, you know, life is never perfect. So things are going to come up. People get really worried, like, oh, you know, I'm going to have to rearrange this run, but, but like, that's okay. That's kind of why we're here to help rearrange these things too. So as long as you're putting in the effort, I mean, that's what we see the most success with people who have been consistently putting in the effort you know and their training isn't always perfect you know uh, I had a lady that ran Berlin and BQ'd and she like her training wasn't perfect a couple little things came up we had to take five days off for a little you know nagging almost injury you know but I'm glad we took the time off longest run was like 18 miles so we did a couple other things in there to kind of get some cross training of a couple 
two hours of cross training and then a long run the next day, stuff like that. So things are not always perfect, but she did a really nice job to just, you know, keep focused, stay the course, keep putting in the work and communicating with me so that we could make things work. And it really paid off. Right. The consistency piece, I think, is really huge. Just, you know, being able to adapt and being honest with yourself, because I think we've also had people on the other end of the spectrum. Like you said, she mentioned, you know, an injury flare up, which is super common. And we just do a little bit of cross training, take the time when you need it. Um, whereas some people, they they aren't necessarily as open and upfront and honest with themselves, you know, if they are having something flare up and they're running through pain. And, and those are the things I think um, that would be like a sacrifice, you know, willing to be open, willing to tell your coach or willing to, you know, take that day or two because you see the long-term success that will happen if you take the time now. Um, those are just little things that I think people overlook, um, but they're huge because, you know, we did a post today about running your mileage, why some people thrive off of lower mileage. And it's really just because it allows them to train consistently over time um, and avoid those injuries and burnout uh, times. Because if you're someone that's listening and you struggle with injury and burnout, um, that's probably the biggest thing that's holding you back. So sometimes just slashing your mileage in half and saying, you know, just how how low do we have to go to get you to consistently be able to train, perform, hit the quality sessions? Um, that's going to be where your starting point and where you should be. Right. There's, yeah, there's so much variability with people that, you know, if some people run more mileage, yeah. Like if you have a great week, but then have to take two weeks basically off, it doesn't really make sense, you know, like versus having three just consistent solid weeks and, you know, talking with injury, you know, yeah, people who are successful typically are the people that are flexible. Like, you know, they say right away, like, oh, I have this going on, you know, and I then I always say, well, you know, we, we should not run that, you know, and the people who are really resistant to that have a harder time. Like, it is hard to not go for a run, but a lot of times taking one or two days when you start to feel a little something can really, like, make a huge difference, you know, running – running a long run on, on a leg that's not feeling 100% that you back two or three weeks versus taking those two days off and then, you know, come back on Monday and you feel fine or, you know, or you're able to go shorter and you feel much better. So it's always about being flexible. Right. And I think sometimes some athletes, I know myself, like admit that you have to take that time off or hard to admit that, you know, you're not feeling hundred percent because part of you like feels like, Oh, you know, build mental toughness, you know, get out there, but you know that that's not the right thing to do. Um, so it's just kind of working with yourself on those things. You know, if you're listening and this is applies to you, just really being honest with yourself going forward in the next season, um, can really just help you out a lot and not running through, you know, if you feel like you maybe are going to get sick, it, it's better to push a workout back or just completely skip it than say, you know what, I woke up a killer headache might be getting a sinus infection. Maybe I should go hit up the track, you know, like those little decisions um, that you're making consistently over time it's either going to make or break your training. Um, so I think, yeah, it's really important just to be open and honest and allowing yourself that flexibility in your training to whatever's going to optimize consistency long-term should always be what you're going for. Right. And I think that kind of leads into, you know, planning ahead because we all know that consi consistent training over time can help us reach our potential. And this podcast, we really want to talk about how we can reach our potential in the sport of running. Um, so people coming off their, you know, fall marathons or any fall races that they did, this is usually kind of more of a downtime. And then people are starting to plan for 2020. And, you know, we're getting a lot of questions of like, when should the next race be? And like, should they go a certain amount of time without any races? And what is your philosophy on like scheduling out? Like, let's say you have the whole calendar year ahead of you, 2020. Um, how do you schedule out races? How do you know when it's too much? Like what's optimal? Well, I think, I kind of think the first thing is kind of finding that a race or thinking like, what what do I want to do this year? What are my goals? What, what do I want to accomplish? And then kind of getting that in and working backwards. So I think, you know, if you want to run a 
fall marathon and go for your BQ and you kind of think, okay, what makes sense? This is, this is when that race would be. And then kind of working backwards and thinking about a half marathon in, you know, in the spring, uh, my wife is going to do a marathon and with her work schedule, it's a little more complex. So she kind of picked one weekend every month that she just told her work that she can't do anything that weekend for them. And now I have to build a plan based on that. And we kind of have zeroed down now. I continue to pressure her. Like you need to pick one weekend and we need to zero in on that weekend. So it can be tough, but I have her now on on the weekend that we have picked. So we're going to train for that weekend. As far as other races, you know, I think, I think you can get, you kind of want to get your A race. Then you want to get, if there's any other races leading up, like maybe racing a half marathon leading up to your marathon, maybe getting the 10 K in, in there and then kind of saying, okay, here's what we're going to do on this day, or here's the goal for this day and making sure that makes sense too. I love how you talked about the scheduling and the long runs. Cause I think that's something maybe people aren't really thinking about when they go to pick that eight, let's say your, your long-term goal for 2020 or short-term, I guess you could say is to, you know, run a BQ race and you're looking at the calendar and you're trying to figure out like when the best optimal time to do that is. Um, I think, you know, looking at your personal life calendar and what events you have scheduled. Cause you know how some seasons of your life are busier than others. And maybe, you know, the timing just would be bad if you had to do a spring marathon. I know for me personally, it would be more challenging to schedule an a race in the spring, just because of Jason's work schedule. It's like every single weekend, he's going to have a track meet. So he'll be gone all day. I will have to like be solo parenting on the weekend. So like, there's no time to do a long run. And I think sometimes people, they forget about that because you get excited. You see other people sign up for the race. You figure, oh, I'll figure it out. Um, But then when you get there, all that added stress, that can be a lot. So I love how you said that she's already planning ahead and telling her work, you know, I'm not working on these weekends so that I can schedule my long runs and just planning ahead is so important. And I know sometimes people have vacations or honeymoons and obviously you can work around these things but you know it might be optimal to not have your a race be three weekends after you get married (laughs) you know right yeah um so that's really good advice but I think another thing that maybe we're not touching on here is like let's say you're a five-hour marathoner and you really want to get to range because you know we always share those athlete spotlights or maybe you're like a 430 marathoner um what route is like the best route to navigate to get to that long reach goal if that makes sense consistency i mean it's always consistency so putting in the time you know and it's going to take it for that person it's probably going to take quite a few marathons to get there but i you know i think people certainly can we've had a lot of success with people going from that five hour or 430 down to hitting their bq just have to kind of stick with it consistently put in the miles you know not over race i think is another thing what is over racing like how would you define that or know that you're doing that thinking that you're gonna i mean thinking that you're gonna race every single weekend at your best as a you know, as an A race type thing and right. getting frustrated because I see people getting frustrated and it's like, oh, you know, I just can't seem to PR and I'm getting slower. And then you can say, okay, well, you know, we, we did race six, you know, six half marathons in the last three months. <laughs> I mean, they can't all be, you know, it's totally fine to jump in as like a, a workout <laughs> and talk about it or as a, as a long run supported long run with people. Like those are really good things, but trying to think that you're going to get faster every single time is not allowing your body to recover and go through the process. Right. And as you get faster, I mean, I think some, you know, beginner runners can maybe get away with that where that's like the norm for them is improving every time. But once you kind of hit that level where you're like, you know what, I want to get to, you know, faster times and really improve. And as you age in the sport, it's way harder to hit PRs. So like you said, I think just kind of going through that phase of understanding that, you know, if you're signing up for, 12 races in a year, uh, you're probably not going to PR at all of them, but 
you know, you might, um, do you think like racing once a month or do you think that there should be like an off season where you don't race for three months or how should like the optimal year of racing look? Yeah. I mean, people ask all the time, you know, and and I always kind of say, well, you know, there's racing hard and then there's like running hard effort in a race, you know, Mm. two different things. Like when I was training hard and running a lot of miles, yeah, I might, you know, I might have gotten in a race every once a month. You know, I might have gotten into a big race once a month. And even in, in college, you know, in college we're racing once a week or once every two weeks, but I never had to focus on like, well, you know, this is, this is the big race. You know, it was like, these are steps towards the, towards this race. So I think that's why identifying your, like your A race, you know, in college, the conference meet, the regional meet, those are the A races. Kind of when I was running hard post-collegiately, it'd be like, you know, I'm training for this half marathon leading up to that. I'm going to run, you know, a couple five Ks, a 10 K, maybe a half marathon with some pace work in it. But then finishing those, if I didn't, you know, PR or whatever, it wasn't that big of a deal. It's like, well, this was a really good workout towards the end goal. Yeah, no, that's a really good way of putting it. And I think, you know, you said racing hard and like racing all out, or I'm not sure exactly the wording that you use, but I love how you explain that and saying, you know, not all races have to be a races, but you can still race hard or not race hard. You can still run hard. Um, Like, what do you think about people who don't have any A races? Cause I kind of feel like this year for me personally, I didn't have like any, you know, a race. I just kind of was like doing a race every month just to run hard and have fun with it. Like, is that okay? Is that bad for training? Cause I feel like I'm in really good shape after doing that. I mean, I think it's great. And it, it circles back around to talking about, you know, mental exhaustion or, you know, how you're feeling mentally. If you don't have an a race, but you're getting out and running, I know you PR'd quite a few times here and you know, it's cause you were, training well and you didn't have all that pressure of I have to do this or I have to do that, you know? And I think that's, I think that's totally fine. It can be a really fun way. Like you ran some great races this year. Last September I ran a marathon and then basically for the last year, I haven't been putting in as much training and I, and I jumped in a couple races and and I ran okay. You know, it's not, and I was happy with the effort that I was able to put in on those days. So I think, you know, I think that's okay too in the long kind of having that long-term vision because I'm going to race, you know, I'm going to start training harder for Boston here and, and get ready for that. So I just kind of had a year where I did some fun races too and enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I think that's great to talk a little bit about how like, you don't have to have these like mega a races. Like you don't have to run a marathon. You don't have to run like a goal half or anything like that. Um, Cause sometimes I think like we get on that, you know, like hamster wheel of like, I have to do, you know, like this goal a race. Um, but that's it, not like a requirement. You can still get faster and improve a lot when you don't do that. And sometimes like mentally, it's nice to have that break because I never had a year where I didn't have like an a race scheduled. Um, kind of like you said, like, I you know the previous year, like I had a goal, half a goal marathon. And this year I'm just like, don't really care. Just want to race. Um, and you know, you can still improve, uh, that way, which is, which is fun. And I think, you know, it's good for people to kind of keep that in mind when they're, they're planning their 2020 races. Cause I think sometimes people want the best of both worlds. Like they kind of want to be able to do all of the fun, like shorter races, kind of like I did this year, you know, the 10 Ks, the eight Ks, the 10 miles, the one miles and, and perform well. And then they also want to have those a races. So I think just understanding that like you can try to have both, but for optimal fitness, I think focusing on like one or the other would be ideal. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, there's, there's tons of different reasons to run. I mean, we have, you know, we have a lot of people too, that are just trying to do a race in every state or do, you know, finish however many half marathons in their lifetime. And, you know, so it just kind of depends on what your, what your goals and your motivation are. I mean, finishing a race in every state is great trying to PR every single race that you run in all is not going to be a realistic goal. And, you know, right. and the person I'm talking about, they don't have that, like, they're just like, well, you know, I'm going to go 
drive to this state and run a half marathon, you know, so they kind of had maybe a loose goal, like at one race this year, I would like to PR, but I'm going to also run these other ones in different states. So it's like, okay, we can kind of work backwards from that and talk about how to use each race beneficially and not put too much mental, mental exertion into each race. Yeah. I know we have quite a few people who will do, you know, they're into the 50 states, maybe for the half of the marathon. And I think that we do a really good job of, you know, having it set up where they can still improve as a runner. And so like reach their A goals while still keeping, you know, the other goals in mind that they have, you know, traveling to different races and just being able to be at these other events um, throughout the years. There's definitely different ways to schedule it. Um, but I think like into the more technical questions, I might kind of do a little bit more like rapid fire with you here just because this is a great topic. And I know a lot of people are thinking about it right now. So, you know, when it comes to 2020 races, should you, or do you think that you should sign up for all of these races in advance for like the whole calendar year or six months at a time? Um, or do you think you should just have an outline in your head or should you just sign up spur of the moment? Like, what do you advise? So, (laughs) Probably as a coach, I would say, again, find your A race so that I can make sure to know that we're getting the long runs in and what we need to do. And then as far as, like, other races, like, try to get them a little bit in advance. I mean, it it can work with the training to say, hey, I'm going to do a 10K in two weeks. Can we adjust? And, yeah, we can always adjust with stuff like that. But we just want to make sure that we don't have to sacrifice a long run or sacrifice something else. You know, we want to make sure that it all works and, and things go together well. But but as far as signing up for them all, I would say just pick kind of pick that one A race and then have some, you know, maybe some other ideas like here's other ones I'm looking at. But I wait to sign up for races too, like just in case I don't decide to do it or something comes up. Right. Yeah. I always wait too. Um, but I know some people, they like to sign up in advance. So what do you think the maximum number of races an athlete should really be signed up for in a 12 month period? <laughs> it, it, it just depends on how you approach them. I mean, we've had people in the past that race every single weekend and I don't think that's going to be conducive for training and, and kind of improving and moving forward unless you're, you know, unless your goal is to race every single weekend and have fun doing it. I mean, I have a friend here that does 125 races a year. That's just thing. Kurt Getsky. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, that's uh... his thing. That's his goal. He kind of runs them at similar pace every race, but that's, that's what he wants to do. So I would never discourage someone from doing that. If that's your goal to run three races a weekend and you really enjoy it and it's, kind of how you have fun. I mean, that's your hobby. But if you want to, you know, if if your goal is to hit your BQ next fall, you know, and you want to race, race these other races, I would say pick three or four races that you're going to race. And then maybe pick a few races that are training runs that you want to get into. That's great advice. Yeah. So three or four, if you're trying to really, you know, reach your potential and all that, love it. Um, so what amount of time in between these, you know, goal races, even if they're short or long distance, should you plan in between? Like, should you do them all kind of within a three month span? Should you sprinkle them throughout the year? Uh, should you do them all leading up to your goal race? I, I would sprinkle them out more like, like if you're doing a marathon, you know, a couple, four weeks, six weeks out might be a good time to do a half marathon. And then you have to kind of decide again if you want to try to run your PR or if you want to try to run that half marathon at a goal marathon type progressive progressive pace. Same thing, like, you know, starting the training cycle might be a good time to run a 5 or a 10K. But as you get closer towards your marathon, you know, a month out, then you probably want to be able to just focus on the workouts that, that you need at that time and not have the pressure of trying to PR in a race. Right. Yeah. That's great advice. Marathons take a lot out of you with all those long runs. It's really hard to, to get, you know, races on the calendar also, but you know, it's kind of like you said, important to get a half there. That way you can at least do a marathon pace. Um, so not too many races sprinkled within a marathon training cycle. What about a half marathon training cycle? 
I, I would probably approach it the same way of maybe, you know, maybe having a 10K or a couple 10Ks and a 5K in there. But again, that would be maybe in the last month when you're getting ready for your goal half marathon, not not having any of those races, maybe a tune up 10K so you can kind of get that racing feel and, and get in into that environment a little bit. Sometimes people do like a practice half leading up to their half. But but I would say usually that's not the greatest. No. Yeah, that's a tough one to do, I think. Uh, What is the closest, like, physiologically that you can have two races and actually see, like, the physiological improvements? It just kind of depends person to person. But I think, I mean, and and the distance. You know, we had some people this fall that were really successful. They, you know, ran – ran a good marathon, came back like a month later and PR'd in the half marathon. I would say that's kind of rare. That's not, that's like not the expected norm. Mm -hmm. I would think, you know, the shorter you go, the less recovery, you know, you're going to be able to come back. So like if you were, if you were running a 5k, if you had a 10k goal, you could probably run a fast 5k three weeks out and then come back for your 10k and be in good, be in a good spot. Same thing with like, you know, the longer you go, the more recovery time. So if you're running a half, you're probably not going to want to run an all out 10K the, the week before or two weeks before, you know, you kind of want to use that time to really prepare for the race that you're actually doing. Right. That's a great answer for their, that question. Um, do you think that you can PR in the 5K during the same marathon training cycle? That, that's a tough question that people always you know, that people debate that one. I mean, because you're using, you know, you're using different training and you're, you're training different systems. So it's hard, but, but I do think you actually can, because I've seen a lot of people run really great five K's and it's just because of how much strength and aerobic endurance you're building, doing those long runs and doing those long workouts. So it's certainly possible. And I have seen a lot of people run really well in marathon training. Yeah, definitely. Because I think what is the five k like ninety percent aerobic or like ninety five? I don't know. Eighty five to ninety five. Eighty five to ninety. Yeah, I mean. Right. So I mean, if you're improving your aerobic base, I mean, you can get faster in the five k if you have raw speed already. I guess. Right. Yeah, I think I think it's possible. I, I wouldn't say, you know, you're certainly going to do it, and if you don't. If you don't PR in the 5K in the marathon training, things aren't going well. And <laughs> don't don't get down about it if you don't, because you're working different systems. You're running, you know, you're not doing as much short speed stuff, and and you're training for you know a three hour race, not a 20 minute race. Right. Do you think having a 5K in a marathon training cycle is actually beneficial like to see kind of where your fitness is at or do you think it's not even a good indicator for the marathon distance at all for the marathon distance i mean people love to plug in calculators or whatnot i don't Mm -hmm. think that's a great indicator no i mean i think you could do one and kind of look at heart rate and, and and kind of say like okay you know i this is 20 seconds off my pr but i felt way better and you know those would be good things that you could get a, a confidence boost or mental boost from, but I don't think that you can run a 5k and then extrapolate it to a marathon just because they're so much different. Right. Yeah. I totally agree with you a hundred percent. And my 5k PR strangely was from when I was marathon training, which is so weird. And I still like, it still is confusing to me because it's been five years since I ran it, but yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure how that, that happened, but I'm sure your is your 5k PR not even remotely, you probably were not doing long distance stuff at that time. Not as long. No, no. <laughs> yep. So everyone's different. And I definitely think, you know, it's, it's hard to PR the 5k during a marathon training cycle. Um, but it can happen. Like, like we said, um, should you expect to PR in every distance, every year, every training cycle? You should not. <laughs> that people kind of get hung up on that too. It's like, oh, you know, I'm not, 
I can't believe my 10K is not improving. It's like, well, I mean, you're not focusing on it. It's, you know, and you're not putting as much mental energy into it. Yeah, so so that gets tough. People always want to PR, and, but there's a lot of other ways to find success in a race, which is what I, you know, I know we try to talk to our athletes about a lot of times. You know, it might not be a PR, but if you run run a smart race, you know, finish strong. I mean, there's a lot of benefits that you can get and success that you can find in that. Right. Yeah. So just like pacing and like being competitive within the race, you know, just racing tactically and all of that stuff is really great to, you know, just improve as a runner. Just because you didn't PR doesn't mean that it was a bad race or that you didn't improve. Um, Because even on different courses, you know, some courses are more challenging than others. Uh, so that's, it's good to, to note that. And I think, you know, as you get better, it becomes harder. And so here's kind of another question to focus on, you know, like for someone who has like a really long term goal, like, you know, you're a five hour marathoner right now, and you want to get to that like three thirty level or below, um, like what sort of work should they focus on? Should it be like speed work? Should they work on endurance? What would you suggest? I, I think you just. I think you can't really neglect anything. I think you have to go through different cycles. I mean, building, building that aerobic endurance and that base is going to really benefit you well. But I think you also have to find kind of everybody has strengths and weaknesses. So it kind of just depends on where, where your ability lies. But I think going through different cycles, like, like having the speed cycle is, you know, and getting your, I mean, improving your shorter races is going to help your marathon I mean it's just going to make your body more efficient and and improve your confidence I mean those are two things that people kind of overlook I think right no I I love how you explained like everyone has their strengths and weaknesses and I think this is a great topic to touch on um because when you're developing and you're training or setting your goals for yourself I think that's something that athletes have to look at and I think we're going to do another podcast later this month on that exact topic like assessing your strengths and weaknesses but I'm just curious from your own perspective what are your strengths and weaknesses as a runner as a runner okay that's good yeah as a runner (laughs) uh I was always in endurance. Like I had really, really good endurance. I, you know, definitely wasn't the fastest sprinter. And I, so that's kind of why I was more interested in the long distance things. I could, could run a long time, but not as fast, I think. So then I really developed, kind of developed that base. And that is where maybe the first couple of years in college, I was like a good runner, but I didn't, didn't see a ton of improvement because I was still building that aerobic base. And then finally, when, when that came through, I I saw a really big boost in that, but also, so during that time, continuing to work on speed and doing speed workouts too, but I was definitely like a long, long distance strength type runner. Right. Yeah. And I think everyone has their different inclinations like which one they're better at or whatever um and it's good to know that about yourself and kind of assessing from there like what you should work on or just knowing kind of what the journey is going to look like from your perspective versus you know maybe you had another teammate that was improving a ton and you would get frustrated because you were doing the same training but you know it shows differently because you're a unique individual with different you know strengths and weaknesses um what are some common ones that you see some of the athletes have common strengths and weaknesses yeah yeah I think um I think it really just depends on your background we get you know like we get people who were sprinters in high school and like clearly their strength is that speed but they haven't built that aerobic endurance so then when we start doing the longer endurance training they really see a huge boost in their times and then we get you know we get people who played you know maybe played soccer um soccer's not a great one people who did like aerobic sports but that were more of like constant moving without as much sprints and speed and then we can kind of work on that area a little bit too i think i mean i think working on your 
you know, playing up your strengths, but also working on your weaknesses is the best way to go about it. You know, we've had some runners that, you know, were really fast, but they, you know, weren't able to hold that for a duration, you know, and then kind of my advice is like, well, we need to build that aerobic endurance. You know, you need to be getting the long runs in and getting in that zone and you already have the speed. And that's like a hard concept to understand. It's like a process of building that. Right. But I think if you really work at it, you see a big improvement. Yeah, I think that natural speed can can be one of those that's either a strength or a weakness for people, um, like that natural talent. And then I know two other big ones are usually like the mental toughness. Um, I know I hate to like say that, but that is definitely uh, one out there, uh, you know. And I think some people some people handle the shorter distance pain well, and then other people like they can handle like that long distance, like just grinding it out for a longer time. And I think those are kind of two different, you know, mental systems that get worked and just knowing which one that you are preferring, you know, during workouts. And you can usually tell this based on it, what sort of workouts you are inclined to do. And I think, you know, if you don't like doing a certain workout, maybe that's the workout that you should be doing, right? Yeah, I mean, and that that gets tough, you know, because whatever you like to do, like, in, you know, I, I was an endurance guy, I like to do tempos or long runs, you know, are my favorite. Doing the shorter stuff on the track was definitely a challenge. And I didn't like it as much. And I wasn't, you know, that's where I'm not good at it either. You know, I'm in the front of the pack in those tempo runs, but then on the track, I'm near the back of the pack. Like, and even probably even my senior year was like the same way on the speed workouts. I was, you know, near the middle, but racing, you know, I was in the front. So it's right. just, it's about working on those things that you don't necessarily enjoy doing. And some people struggle with that because, you know, the shorter stuff is hard and it hurts. And then, it, you know, it hurts their confidence but I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, we give kind of, we give that pace range of like where we'd like to see you be, but, and that, and that's based on, you know, your time trial, your races, your, your tempos, but some people are just more inclined for tempos, you know, eight minute pace for a tempo feels really good. And, and you love doing it versus seven thirty pace for half a mile. You just, you hate it. And it, you know, and so it's all kind of a mental thing there too. And that's just something to work on, like not getting frustrated if you are a little slower than that pace, but just understanding like you're putting in the best effort and it is benefiting you. Yes, that's great advice and getting uncomfortable and like doing those workouts that maybe aren't your favorite, but just putting forth the effort that you can give. And sometimes, you know, when you're working on things that are your weaknesses, you probably aren't going to perform as well as you would if you're doing a workout that focuses on your strength. And so just kind of going into all of those workouts, knowing that, you know, it might not, you might not hit the paces that are prescribed. And that's, that's great advice, just going into it with more of an open mind and um, allowing yourself that room to actually grow into that um, strength or weakness that you're trying to develop. Um, And I know another one, just for people listening who are curious, what is the last one? It's just like that natural durability. So some people are very injury prone and other people just can really get away with doing anything. Um, I know we have some athletes who it's like they can't even run back to back days without something flaring up. Um, There are also other athletes out there where it's like they can do marathons on back to back days and be totally fine from that. And so Ben, where do you lie in that spectrum and how can someone kind of tell what their strength and weak or if they are strong in this area? Well, for me, I was always able to do a lot of mileage, but, but I think I wasn't really a workout guy, you know, so I could, so I really thrived off of getting high mileage in and like moderate workouts. And I think that's a misconception people have too, is like after every workout, you shouldn't just be dead. I mean, you should, the workout should be hard and then you should recover. So that's kind of where, where I was on that was like being able to do the more mileage, more durable. I had teammates that would run every other day and, you know, and cross train the other days because if they ran, like you said, if they ran two days in a row, then they were going to have something flare up. So everybody, everybody's just different. You don't have to 
be like anybody else to get results. I mean, you posted about myself and Julian today where he's running 40 miles and running sub 15. I'm running hundred miles and running sub 15, you know, there's different ways to get there and, and everybody is different and needs different things. Yes. I love that post today. Just showing how, you know, you can have two athletes of the same ability levels, but the training is going to look very different. Um, and it's just so interesting to know that, you know, if you took every, every person that's ever ran, you know, your goal race time that you're looking for and seeing what their training looks like, none of them are going to look exactly the same and you're going to see just vast differences, you know? Um, and it's just really interesting to, to compare and contrast and see, you know, you should be training specifically for you with your strengths and weaknesses in mind. And that's really how we're going to develop that 2020, um, training cycle for all of our athletes is just looking at, you know, what, were your strengths in 2019? What were your weaknesses and what are your long-term goals? And then building a plan from there. Um, you know, maybe you're someone who is just always in the comfort zone, always wants to run marathons, but just is afraid to, to dabble in like the mile or the 5k, but wants to really like capitalize on speed when you're still, you know, in your twenties or thirties or, and you're afraid to kind of step out of that comfort zone and try a new distance and see like how fast you can get. Um, and maybe that's something that's calling you in 2020, where it could also be the opposite. Maybe you're someone who's never ran a marathon and you, you're afraid and you, you just don't know that your body can handle that endurance and you want to try the marathon distance this year. I think these are all just really good things to have in mind. And just knowing that your training is going to have to Focus on your background as an individual going forward. Have any last minute advice for people who are looking at the 2020 calendar and coming up with goals for their races, Ben? Uh, I would I would say we covered a lot, but I would say, yeah, talk it out with your, you know, talk it out with your coach or write it out. Kind of look at, look at what your schedule is, you know, it's going to look like with your personal life. And then just, you know, it's okay to try something new, like you said, but but do it for you. I mean, do the, do the races that you enjoy. Don't feel like you have to run a spring marathon because everybody else on Instagram is doing it. I mean, do what makes you happy and, and focus on your goals. That was great. Yeah. Do what makes you happy. Focus on what you want to do. Uh, excellent way to close. So if anyone is interested in learning more, or maybe you just want to brainstorm your 2020, you know, racing calendar with us, we would love to do that with you. So you can go to www.run4, the number four, PRS. Dot co and we can chat more um, today about your running goals. So I hope that you enjoyed this. 